Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Isn't Working. I'm Tiffany. And I am Sean. Hello. Let's get an update on how your new job is going. It's going really well. Um, everybody, it's just been great. I'm starting to be able to do like some things on my own now, which is cool. Um, That's a nice feeling. It is, yeah, because you feel kind of like... Um, like a toddler at the first yeah. few weeks, like you can't really do anything. <laughs> yeah. And now uh, you're like pre-K, you know, you can like count, yes, you know, yeah. some numbers, you know, some letters. Right. Yeah. I can ride my bike to the stop sign and back. And, <laughs> you know, so yeah, but it's been going really well. So just kind of still getting caught up to like really caught up to speed with everything, but Good. which is nice that I don't have like anything more to say about it. Just that it is going well. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good update for, uh, getting a new job and yes we are quite practiced in that process so we can speak on that with some of yeah we are still tied um for numbers a number of jobs since since we quit together yes <laughs> tied and we for are three <laughs> three each and we're coming up on our two-year anniversary in a couple of months that's exciting yeah god so much has happened in the last two years i know i've lived in like two additional states like we moved <laughs> yeah. also we've had six jobs six jobs two of us. <laughs> uh, uh, yep. what a what a summary well we're on uh so this is episode nine of season three yeah. and for this season we have planned 10 episodes so mm-hmm. we are recording now our penultimate episode for the third season of this isn't working how do you feel about that I don't know. It's, I was. I think we've said it several times separately, but um, this season's gone by really quickly. Yeah, it like has. F- and we've really been doing this for the first like five months of this year. Not even when did we start March? Um, or February. We I started think we playing? started recording maybe in late February because I did some travel yeah. at the beginning of the year. So I think we just right. waited until all that was done. Yeah. So really, in like less than four months. We're nearly at the end of May here. It's May 21st as we're recording this. Yeah. And this episode is going to be quite quite close to our hearts because today we are talking about um, how and why and in what ways higher ed isn't working. It's honestly kind of maybe impressive that it has taken us uh, almost three full <laughs> seasons to touch on this topic as its own episode because right. uh, you and I have worked in higher ed for our entire, like, professional careers like we both had jobs maybe before we started in higher ed but higher ed has been our only career I would say yeah and that's kind of wild I mean we I feel like we've definitely talked about it throughout in a way but I think the really the industry we've destroyed the most would be HR but yeah But yeah, no, it makes it makes. We called sense. out a lot of tech too. I think. I think yeah, HR and then maybe oh, tech. Tech, yeah, that's a good point, especially this season. But yeah, it just made sense to kind of talk about the industry that we work in because we haven't really spoken about it in particular, both from a what what isn't working from working in the field, but also just from the point of view of going to college broadly. Yeah, and I think. Um... Like a lot of other fields, like if you think about the medical field or tech or banking, um, lots of people go through and experience um, our field uh, as like customers, participants, patrons, whatever you would want to call it. So it's it's something that, you know, even if you aren't in it in a professional capacity, like you 
have probably had some level of experience with it or you know yeah. will soon if if you haven't already. Yeah, even indirectly too, just because of the number of things that higher education institutions typically fund in its local or in the local community. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot of indirect users of higher education and education more broadly as a yeah. commodity but not a good, you know. So yeah, those were the main reasons that we wanted to talk about it for but then the other thing too is that I mentioned this briefly a moment ago, but critics. There's a lot of critics of higher education, uh both its users and its stakeholders and non stakeholders. But now people are questioning the value of higher education just in general. Seemingly more so than ever, I would say. Yeah, I think um so I've I've been in the field it'll be eight years this summer. It it was I think really starting to be a bit more of a mainstream concern as I was mm-hmm. kind of coming onto the scene as a professional. Mm. And and I think it's only gotten more I don't want to say like severe, but more intense. Like it has really the conversation around um, if higher education is quote unquote worth it, I think has increased generally. It used to just be kind of like people like, Oh, those liberal elitist universities just kind of as a broad strokes critique of higher education. Yeah. um, Which is like borne out time and time again. It's not particularly being very accurate, but anyways, I think that, how the conversation has developed has like it, it started out or at least the conversations that I was hearing when I first started in the field were a little bit more about like, is a certain type of higher education experience worth it? Is it worth it to go to a more expensive school? Or if you're considering a public school, like, is it worth it at all to consider an out of state school? You know? So yeah. Yeah. I think those were a lot of the conversations taking place. And in more recent years, I think it has been more just like, is it worth it to get anything past a high school diploma? Like what, what's the financial impact of doing it versus not and your earning potential doing it versus not? Yes. And I, I, I think the go-to for people is to assume that that's a critique coming from like older people, which is for sure true in many ways, but it also thinks like, like Gen Z is really like, I don't need to go to college because I can create this online persona or I can, be an entrepreneur and start my own thing or the world will true turn into a ball of fire before I would yeah mid-career anyway so there's this weird tension on both ends of the the generation spectrum about this but it is a good point because it's more about like should higher ed almost exist in a way but anyways Um, and also we work in it so that's why we're talking about it Yep. This is our thing. And this was, this was meant to be quick aside. This is meant to be uh, the first of a pseudo two part series, just kind of wrapping up our season because uh, for us in particular, our area of the field, um, they're like the big annual conference is coming up and Sean and I were both going to be at it and we were going to do some fun in-person stuff. And then he switched jobs and now he's not going (laughs) and I'm still very bitter and hurt about it. I know. Um, so episode 10 had to kind of change, but don't worry, we will still have something fun uh, to finish up this season. But yes. um, instead of having that kind of two-parter series, I, I will still be at the conference. Um, yes, you will still be at the conference. And you will be sorely uh, missed. I will not be. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a bummer because I was looking forward to going, but uh, hopefully next year. Anyways. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so we've kind of broken this down um, from a like 
what about higher ed isn't working from the student's perspective, which I yeah. think that probably most of our listeners will relate to, maybe having had these thoughts or conversations with family or friends. And we're coming at this from the employment side of things, like from a career, not even vocation, or all the other benefits of college aside, or four-year university degree aside, just looking at this from the career benefits and blah, blah, blah. Yes, because obviously there are like community benefits and everything, like memories, friendships, stuff like that. Stuff that's a little less... More of a nebulous kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just a little harder to pin down and it's a little harder to like... The catch-all has historically been like civic engagement or like helps build the citizenry. But anyways, so obviously the conventional wisdom that I think most people heard in our age anyways growing up, because I don't know if this would necessarily be as true for perhaps older people, but is that you go to college and then you get a higher paying job after doing that. Yep. And that would be it. That's that's what you do. <laughs> it's still true that the ROI on a college degree is very much worth it. So if you're just looking for at sure. kind of cost of degree uh, compared to earning potential, like just those yep. two factors, um, it's it's pretty clear. It, it becomes even more pronounced when you add additional layers of education. So like you can have a bachelor's degree or then, you know, master's and doctoral or PhD. The most recent data that we saw from a Georgetown, uh, Georgetown, interesting university research <laughs> uh, is that bachelor's degree holders earn a median of 2.8 million during their career which is about 75% more if they had only had a high school diploma, which is nuts for starters. Yeah. But then if you go into a master's degree, it's 3.2 million. Doctoral, terminal degrees, as we call them, 4 million. And professional degree holders, four, like, so that would probably be like lawyers and doctors, yeah. I would imagine. Physical therapists, or, I think, are professional yeah. degrees. Uh, optometry, veterans. Yeah, a lot of that, medical stuff. That isn't super lucrative. Yeah, that's true. But then it's four point seven million. So you can over your lifetime earn significantly more. Here's the biggest caveat to that though. One quarter of workers with a bachelor's degree earn more than half of workers with a master's or doctoral degree. Not great for for going on to like these advanced degrees and not necessarily seeing that ROI. Um so I think the general wisdom is just get a bachelor's. And I'm sure that, that varies by um for industry. Sure. Because yeah, if yeah. you like, if you're in like a STEM field, it's probably a pretty linear, uh, like growth in your compensation yeah, yeah. to your education. If you're in a field like we are, where it's a little less prescriptive, which we'll actually touch on later, it can it can really vary. Like typically, you would be, you know, higher valued as an employee if you have a higher degree. But it really just kind of depends. So. Right. Overall, the the numbers still bear out in favor of obtaining at least a bachelor's, mm-hmm. but there are lots of different ways to go about obtaining a bachelor's and, and finding a path that works for you, especially if right. finances are a concern. We laid out a couple of those in case anyone is curious or perhaps these resonate. Mm-hmm. So some other options apart from just like a traditional go to school, live on campus, do four years, earn a bachelor's. Yep. Uh, two plus two programs are becoming far more popular. So that's two mm-hmm. years at a community college, followed by two years at a four-year institution where you yep. would earn an associate's degree at the community college and then a bachelor's at the end of your four years. And many, 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 many 
community colleges and four-year institutions have nice programming that puzzles together really well. Or in some cases, like direct programming where you consider a student at both. Yes, um, I was going to say. Yeah, and a number, because that's becoming such a popular option, uh, more and more schools are opting into it. So a lot of times you'll find um, there are like over 4,000 institutions, higher education institutions in the U.S. So Which um, is... Like, for comparison to other countries, that's a mind-boggling number. No country has anywhere close to what we have. (laughs) No, not even. And most of ours are good, too. Yes. So there are lots of options. And no matter where you are in this country, you probably have a two-year program near you. And they probably have some kind of arrangement with uh, at least one, if not multiple, nearby four-year programs. Like, the most meaningful benefit of doing that type of degree program is a cost savings Community colleges are absurdly affordable. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, go do your gen eds at a community college. Honestly, you might want to consider doing that. It's actually not bad. (laughs) It's it's not bad advice. Um, And I think that, as as we said at the beginning, we're really focusing a bit more on some of the, like, hard data. But a lot of times students are less inclined to uh, consider a community college because they want that, like, on-campus college camaraderie traditional experience and more and more community colleges are appealing to that so talking to the community colleges that I work with now versus what community college was marketed to me as when I was like a rising senior completely different it was always like the worst option it was always like the villain in the movie like oh god he's going to community college it was like (laughs) it was like just above like prison you've <laughs> failed and lost all your potential and you clearly have peaked in high school like that was the vibe and that's so so wrong vibe. yeah yeah it's not a good vibe it's not an accurate uh assessment no, at all it's incredibly high quality of teaching and very uh, pro community college here yeah absolutely i <laughs> it's just so funny because it really was like prison no it, was, it goes hell prison <laughs> community college it was like, in that order <laughs> like learning about the local community colleges was like almost the same as a scared straight program like <laughs> yeah. it was like that intense it felt like a sh- like every community college building I've ever pictured also kind of looks like a prison yes and like they I all had one seen... single architect <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like concrete a concrete building but Anyways, concrete as far as the eye could see and parking yeah. garages. It was concrete and parking garages. I know. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just, it's so true that parking garages. I'm just glad that community college is kind of getting its dues now. And I agree. Like, yeah. There's That's a lot nice of to benefits see. to doing this. There's a lot of partnerships that community colleges have with high schools as well. So a lot of people get college credit while still in high school. Yes. Anyways, which is unsurprising because the second option we have is just going to community college and getting only your associate's degree, which is. Still a great option. People who earn an associate's degree don't know how much more they earn than somebody with a high school diploma, but it's definitely more. Yeah, but it's Um, still like it's one step up. mm -hmm. It's the next level. Um, You can get some, I I mean, you know, it's essentially like half of a bachelor. So you like everyone's getting a bachelor's does like a lot of that same stuff. They just then like continue on and do a little bit more or specialize in a different way. Um, but you can learn a ton with an associate's degree and make yourself more marketable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you can get like really good 
quality degrees too. Like you yeah. can get medical associate's degrees. Um, be like physical therapist assistant. I, my mom went to a community college actually. Um, oh, lovely. and earned it. So shout out mom for going to community college. Shout out Sean's mom. She got a associate's in occupational therapy assisting. Think is the exact thing she got in. The confidence here is she was an OTA though. Um, so that's that's what she's doing with her degree. But that's great. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's a great option too. So for people in the traditional eighteen-ish going to college age, but also for people like my mom who went back, you know, after having kids and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Other options are online degree programs. So they typically offer more flexibility. Um, it's easier to like maintain full-time work if, again, like finances are concerned. Yeah. You have like bills you need to pay now, but you want to kind of plan for uh, more of that higher earning potential over your lifetime. Online mm-hmm. degree programs are a really good option, similar for part-time programs. So that flexibility yeah. is really key there, making sure that you can um, – you know, continue to provide childcare or elder care or maintain family responsibilities or, you know, work full time and go to school part time, whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, yeah. it, it just kind of allows you a little more flexibility to puzzle that degree plan, whatever it is for you into your life as it exists. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then we also put down sort of these, I'm going to call them there, I, I would consider them higher education, but it's like some people consider them like higher education adjacent, uh, but like trade or vocational programs. I really see anything beyond a high school diploma as being like advanced education. Yeah, I think so, it's higher education, but higher education is usually synonymous with like an academic concept and right. like trade or vocational uh, education isn't considered academic. So there's like a... There is some sort of distinction there, I guess. Yeah. But I have noticed that, and I don't know if you've clocked this, but even, like, Canadian universities are offering these, like, professional trade programs yes, like I've this. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah. In, like, a bachelor's degree form, almost. So yeah. So, it's really interesting. So, um, but they have, most of their programs are three years as well. Um, but anyways. Yeah, so that's a great option as well. So, like, pipe fitting, <laughs> plumbing, electricians. All these types of trades, one, they're incredibly value, and there's a, a genuine concern that we're going to run out of people to do these things at some point in the not-so-far future. Yeah, um, that's, that's a bleak future. It's a little worrisome. Yeah. Um, but these programs, especially when they're programs, these career fields, um, you know, especially if you join a union. Ooh, yeah. Big, big, Love big a union. Money. Big, big money. And good benefits. Backbreaking work in many cases, but... It pays off. I mean, it's really almost like a lifestyle choice in a way, but... Yeah, it's just, it's not for everyone, and it's good that there are other options out there that exist. Uh, And then the last one is certificate programs, which are not nearly as valuable as having an advanced degree of any kind, like beyond high school diploma. But if you do have some sort of education, associate's bachelor, whatever, and you have these additional certificate credentials... It enhances or adds, can add value, but um, just make sure they're like properly accredited. They're like many co- uh, community colleges and four universities offer these types of programs, and they're typically not very expensive. But like, don't go through some random like third party website that tells you like, oh, we're in this certificate and blah blah blah, because you may be paying for something that's not a real credential. You know yeah, I mean? something that's not quite as valuable 
or like recognizes like publicly actual, as you would yeah. hope for. Yeah. If you have questions about that, Sean and I can point you in the direction of like how to find proper accreditation. So DMS. Yeah. For sure. At not working pot. Something we can actually help with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So obviously another thing that isn't working with higher ed, and this is probably maybe people are wondering, why didn't we start with this? Um, yeah. This is the big one. <laughs> the big one. Uh, the cost. It's so bad. It's, it's so bad. Shocking. And this is why a lot of people, particularly in the last uh, like 10 to 15 years, have really been questioning the value of the degree um, and if it's quote unquote worth it, because really the cost of obtaining an education is an absolute racket. It's so bad. And it's just grown astronomically, particularly since the 80s. Yeah. It's, and it's just so egregious, like the tuition rates, how high they've gone, even at public universities. Yeah. It's just absurd. But um, so it's not and this isn't, you know, just for profit universities. It's just like private, public like legitimate four-year, not-for-profit. Yeah, yeah the costs are absurd. And it's like, it like the, the, the numbers that we consider normal in the U.S. baffle much of the world in some cases yeah. like, because it is so much more affordable to go to school in other countries as like mm-hmm. a citizen of those countries. And it's just, we have normalized it being soul-crushingly expensive uh, and yeah. resulting in decades of paying off loans yeah countries like the uk and australia have done their student loans so much differently well one there's not many or as many as what we would have but it's usually like paying them off tied to your income and some circumstances you don't pay and the interest is very very low like this sort of stuff then there's like other countries where they like pay you to go to school (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah it definitely does surprise other other people in other countries and a, a lot of the reason, particularly for public institutions, that this has happened at such an alarming rate is because states have continually cut funding for higher education. It used to be one of the most important things that individual states funded for themselves, but they've just reduced it. I mean, probably education across the board, but higher education in particular is always like ready for the chopping block whenever there's budgetary, budgetary issues, excuse me. Yeah, which is, you know, it, it creates this vicious cycle of like people continuing to question if a degree is worth it because it's so expensive and how much can you earn over time and blah, blah, blah. And like, these are all great questions to be asking because if you are considering going into college or university, it's one of the biggest investments you'll make. So understanding all of the cost is really important. I think we've, we've kind of touched on this before because for us in the time that we, like as millennials and at the time that we were graduating and everything like that, it was very much like the recession had just happened and it was like, you go to school, you get a degree, you get a job and you just take what you can get and start paying off all your debt. And so it really wasn't an option to not do that. It seemed at least it just set us all up for this kind of life that we're all now living and you know continuing to to pay yeah no that's that's a really really good point i was always told like you go you you go you get in your four years you get out and then you're done yeah but it's anyways (laughs) now it's like you can go to to your college or do this or do that it's like no yeah which is great but same time it's like where was that like 15 years ago (laughs) anyways 
would have been nice. Um, but yeah. hopefully the options continue to grow because I do think that it's really important to uh, for like our society and our economy to value different types of education. I was always yeah. going to go to college, not only because it was presented as like the only option for having a successful life, but I always really loved school. Like I would yeah. do school forever if I could. I, in fact, in part, love this upcoming conference we talked about at the top of the episode because for me it feels like a mini school you go and you learn and people talk yeah, and yeah. everything and very nerdy but yeah <laughs> i am a true nerd and like i look forward to that so i was always going to take this path um yeah. at least the education aspect of the the path that i have taken but i i just don't think that it's for everyone and i don't think we should pretend like it has to be yes no i'm glad we've moved on from that this is the only option. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mindset. we're way better off and hopefully yeah. it continues in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously as we kind of mentioned tuition rates, um, fees associated with attending school and other nickel and mm-hmm. dime costs. And by nickel and dime, I mean like 500 to a grand for every nickel or dime, um, <laughs> <laughs> have really outpaced wages. So I know yeah. that I have heard from, uh, from my elders that uh, perhaps they (laughs) worked part-time over the summer to pay for the following year's school costs. And I literally cannot fathom that because you would have to be making so much money in the summer as like a child. (laughs) Yeah. I think somebody did the minimum wage or whatever, like the minimum wage conversion from like 19... 72 or whatever to today like back then it's like oh you work like 25 hours a week for four months and you can pay 17 years of college or whatever you know um and then ours is like you have to work 87 hours a day and then you also- <laughs> yeah yeah <I've> seen that. <laughs> um, it's like it it really is at like proportionally astronomical yeah it's it's insane i actually at I, I, I think as i was like looking at college it must have been because otherwise I never would have paid attention to like how much it might cost or anything like that so I have to assume it was like during my own college search that people in my life started talking to me about that like I I worked with a bunch of women at a a shop and they were all like retired so they were they were much older they would talk about having done that and I I thought they were kidding because I couldn't I was like I'm looking at a school whose tuition is you know whatever tens of thousands of dollars i worked all summer and i didn't make nearly that so like i thought they were lying to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> turns out they weren't um yeah reagan was nope. anyway moving on so one thing that we think could be improved um is mm-hmm. how i guess maybe even like we as a society articulate the the value of higher education yeah like what is it for basically yeah, uh, as opposed to just like what Sean and I grew up with, where it's like high school graduation, college, degree, job. Like that's not yeah, a value that was proposition. The <laughs> <laughs> that's a command. Like I don't. Yeah, that's that's what a, like a factory system does. Yeah, yeah. Listen, that I think colleges do a really really bad job of telling society that though, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I don't know. Colleges aren't their best spokespeople for their own value because there's this kind of stigma around like faculty and staff and 
there's like sometimes being a disconnect. I don't think society is very receptive when colleges say things anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that there is some warranted skepticism um, about like what any given institution or like more broadly higher ed in general is saying, because, you know, again, we we watched ourselves and our peers opt into tens of thousands of dollars of debt, not really understanding what it meant. And I, I think it's really not okay to ask 17 and 18 year olds to like commit to that without really explaining what they're doing or getting themselves into. Yeah. So I think that this kind of conversation, this ROI conversation has improved at least over the course of my career. Um, and from what I can recall of like my own personal experience, but it definitely has a long way to go still. I'm seeing this more from a professional standpoint and I hope that it's like getting through properly to the the people who need to hear and and understand it but there could be more conversation around like direct benefits co-curricular learning opportunities like study abroad or internships or things like that where it's not just like you should do this because it should go on your cv right but like you should do it because it actually develops the skills that you'll need to be successful in the workforce but but that's as you say, not exactly what's happening. And I think people kind of forget that that's part of what college is for. Yeah. It's, to, to, it's more multifaceted than just, you know, you go in, you get it, you work. You Like the, that standard formula we were just talking about. It should be clearer that college prepares you for really life, like <laughs> like being independent yeah. for the first time, being financially responsible for yourself, maybe for a lot of people for the first time, mm-hmm. making your own choices, learning what it is that you like and don't like and what you may want to spend the next 40 plus years doing or not. Like there are yeah. so many things you need to get out of your college experience if that is what you're doing. It needs to be more than just like look at this green space on our campus. Isn't it lovely? Like, yes, but yeah. what else <laughs> am I going to be getting? Yeah, really. And, you know, one thing that I wish they would communicate better is just like the alumni that you're immediately connected with when you graduate. I never really realized until I was graduating, they're like, oh yeah, I guess there's like an alumni network and, you know, you can work like network and, you know, find job opportunities. It can come in handy when you're interviewing, when you're moving to a new city, um, doing non-work things as well. Um, and just basically like builds, builds you a community for the rest of your life too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you just can't replicate that in any other type of scenario. No. And it's a, it's a, it's a very unique aspect of like the college culture experience. And I think it's, yeah. you know, I, I can't speak to every higher ed experience across the world, but I think that it is uh, somewhat uniquely American. Uh, the, yeah, it's like, that more like affinity. Yeah, yeah, people are very attached to their schools in, in most cases, I think. And if they're not, I think that that reflects on like they're not being a close-knit campus community. So yeah, I, I think that it is, it is also something that would be worth discussing with people like throughout their time. Um, And the flip side of that, having been, you know, working on campuses and and been in a staff position, um, students also have to like seek that out to a certain extent. Like there isn't, it's not like a one-to-one staff faculty to student ratio where like you get 
a professional buddy to like hold your hand through the whole process. <laughs> I don't know. I think that there's a disconnect between like what sources or resources rather and support services are available and what students think or know is available. It is worth noting though, and this is kind of like the not so secret, but it's also like kind of a big secret of higher education. Most college degrees are worth virtually the exact same when you do like a program to program to program comparison. There's obviously exceptions like if you have a degree from Harvard that carries a pretty significant amount of weight. But if you have a bachelor's in business from Ohio State and you have a bachelor's of business from SUNY Oswego, though they're more or less worth the exact same. Like in the grand scheme of life, uh, your earnings potential, all of those types of things, like employers don't weight those two things that different. No. And um, for the most part, unless, again, it is like an Ivy League or a more, you know, elite institution with yeah. a big reputation, what's actually going to like make your resume stand out if you did attend uh, you know, one of the other thousands of institutions in the U.S. Something that will stick out is that co-curricular experience. So like what else did you do with your time there besides earn that degree? Also, if if whoever is looking at resumes or doing a first pass or in the committee or whatever is an alum from your institution, like that will stick out to them. And that's, of course, nothing you as an individual have control over. It just is true for the reasons that we described earlier. Like you just, it's just- that it, built an affinity for your, yes, your life. Yes, it's an yeah. automatic connection. In fact, when yeah. I applied for the, the job uh, that I got where we worked together, someone mm-hmm. on the panel was an alum of Went to my- that school. Alma mater. Yep. <laughs> and like talked amazing. about it in the interview and like we chatted, we had done the same study abroad program. So like automatically, yeah, automatically. she was going to remember who I am and like yeah. plus one for Tiffany because yeah. like <laughs> you just, you can't help that unless it, like I had bombed no. and she would have been like, wow, I'm so disappointed that my alma mater uh, churned out that, you know, like yeah, plus 0.5 instead, you know? Right. <laughs> And here's an example of that. You and I have pretty much, almost down to the wording, the exact same undergraduate degree. Yeah, we really do. From two different universities, we should clarify. Yes. Sean attended a private institution. I attended a public (laughs) institution. um, But we are close in age, so it was like nearly the same year uh, that we got our degrees. We ended up in the same field as professionals. And with basically the same job by the time we got to a certain point and doing a lot of the same work even prior to that. Yeah, exactly. And even now, although we kind of do different, more different things now, but we are more or less in the same place in our careers in terms of like level. Even at one point we had almost the exact same job title. Like, yeah, up until you just switched, close. we were like almost word for word the same title right. at two different places. Sean and I are living parallel lives. And it's because we're like, we're still in the same income bracket. Yeah. And like, even though I've kind of shifted into a slightly different type of role, like still at the same level. Yeah. Um, Neither of us has supervisory responsibilities. So we have that. We're like classic mid-career Early to mid career professionals. We're not. We're past that entry level life, but we're not. We're not quite like you know. We're one step past Big it. We're bosses. not two steps yeah. past it. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and also, as we continued to kind of compare our 
very similar trajectories. Sean actually uh, has a master's and I do not. Yeah, I went back and got more degree. And at this stage, it has not gotten me to some advanced level um, or anything like that, but it was free. So <laughs> I think uh, I think on paper, you maybe initially at least make a more compelling candidate because you do you are able to add that additional That's degree true, and like, yeah. for a lot of the jobs that like we have applied for over the last two years <laughs> and six <laughs> and of which many. we've gotten um yes. <laughs> i think masters was typically preferred though not required in any of them yeah usually at this stage of our careers we would start seeing that like preferred uh, so it just kind of goes to show you that we essentially got like the same education, mm-hmm. ended up in the same place. Apart from your master's being free, I mean, just price tag yeah. wise, I'm going to guess that my education was less expensive because probably, I went to a public school. Yeah, right? that's I mean, probably true. <laughs> I would imagine that that would be true. But we both had a traditional like on campus living college experience. Um, yeah. And we both did the turn out a degree and get a job. So that's from kind of the uh, like consumer, specifically in this case, student perspective. But in terms of being employees, what isn't working in higher ed, Sean? So many things. Um, <laughs> Let us I, count the ways. Of, yeah, right. I think what's going to be funny about this is that this a lot of these things in their own way are probably really similar to what people are experiencing in other industries especially in the not-for-profit world. (laughs) But I think number one is that generally working at a college university is so extremely not lucrative because the institutions pay very top-heavy. So entry-level roles pay terrible salaries, like 30s, maybe into the 40s if you're lucky, but Probably depends on like the region or city, I imagine. Yeah, Like if you're entry-level in Chicago versus entry-level in... Iowa, it's right, going right. to be different just because cost of living is different, but entry level positions. But yeah, the the pay is very top heavy. So all of the little entry level minions, um, which I say with love, I have been an entry level <laughs> yeah. minion. Um, are we were paid. them at one point? Yeah, I was an entry level minion at many locations. <laughs> <laughs> um, they just don't earn all that much. Whereas if you get to like. Mm-hmm. A dean, a VP, uh, like a, a provost, associate provost, like all AVP, like yeah. all of those, um, all the way up to, you know, president. Those are the really heavy hitters. Those those people yes. are in big bucks. Yes, and that's we're excluding like coaches. We're not going to factor those because oh, sh- they that's they a, make that's, that's a whole a other thing. Yeah. But in terms of like the academic functioning of the institution. Yeah, I mean, that's where the money is. Yeah, totally. And it's not easy to get to those types of roles um, yeah. unless you want to like wait a really long time. Those positions are a little more likely, especially as you get higher and higher, to like bounce around. Like they'll go from, you know, the top public institution in one state to the top private in another um, because they're, I don't know, they're, it's like the corporate side of education. Like it's a little bit more about like the position and the role than the work in some cases so it just you know and that's that's fine for some people like i'm not judging it just that it's like it's not well distributed um commensurate with like 
the labor. So along with the salaries being really, really bad, especially for uh, entry level and, uh, you know, even mid-career professionals, the benefits usually aren't that great either. The only kind of good benefit that higher education institutions offer uh, would be what's called tuition remission. And that's where a significant portion, in some cases, all of it, of the tuition cost, you get it for free, essentially. Um, and it's something that you can typically apply or, you know, pass on to, you know, a spouse to use or your children, given what we mentioned before about the cost of college being so outrageous. It's a pretty, pretty good benefit. Um, yeah, that's a really, really good one. Um, yeah, it is something probably that's the offered. best one. <laughs> I agree. It is something that's offered at a lot of organization, other organizations like that want to encourage their yeah. uh, employees to continue to obtain degrees. So it's not exclusive right. to higher ed, but it's a very, true, true. very common one in higher ed. And it's definitely a good one, especially if you want to uh, continue your education. And I would definitely take advantage of it while you can, especially when, you know, like if you're trying to go back to get an advanced degree, you know, it can take a few years. So, yeah. um, you know, you have to be pretty like settled into what you're going to do for the next three to four years. And I will caveat, like I have worked for a very large institution that was really well integrated in the city that it was in. Um, it was a public institution, and so it had a lot of tie-ups with the state and everything. And those benefits were some of the best benefits I've ever mm. had. So it can just as There are definitely anything, some exceptions, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it can really vary. But I worked for a couple of other institutions where the benefits were subpar. Yeah, the cost sharing tends to be really high, especially for, like, healthcare and that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's like, yeah. Um, it's not great. It's not the worst. And there are, you know, benefits like that's a plus. Yes, that there are. It's sad and that that's a plus, but that is a plus. Yeah. And I guess the sort of only upside is that despite um, like really low salaries and the difficulty of advancing, um, it doesn't generally have a high turnover rate. People stay and they're like comfortable with the benefits, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but anyways, what I just mentioned as well is a big point that there is limited upward mobility. Like it's really hard to get promoted or advance. Or you basically have to switch institutions in order to advance. Yeah. In the same way that it's easier to advance just by changing jobs. Like if you change even departments within the same institution, it's more likely to be a slightly more vertical move. Whereas it, like most of the moves that you're going to make in your same department um, at your same institution are going to be a little bit more lateral. Maybe your title will change. Maybe you'll get to work with a different population of students or whatever. Um, but you're like not you really... from experience. <laughs> Did that... Was that, too... was that suspicious? That was a little, little too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also from experience, your compensation won't improve. <laughs> Truly, it will not. It will not. But it's a great uh, because, opportunity for you. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, you will hit a ceiling, though, because people stay for a really, really long time, especially like the for lifers who like don't really want to go any further up. They'll stay there for years and years and years. Yeah. We worked with a lot of lifers. Um, yeah, and I've, I've talked about this, I think, on the pod before. But when I first entered the field, I was like very excited about what I got to do and I really love my job yeah. and all that remains true. I, I, you know, I loved that job and I loved my team and um, that never changed, but I did at some point realize like, Oh, I want to keep doing like the specific thing that I'm doing. And I would like, to, I would do more of it. I would do different aspects of it, but I'm never going yeah. to want to like leave the niche that I'm in, in order to advance. Like that won't be 
motivation for me. So unless right. my boss takes something else or gets to advance or a new position is created, like there's not a place for me to move up in this niche here. And that was right. kind of a that was kind of a bummer realization, but I realized it about a year is, in and yeah. so I was like, well, I, you know, I'm not looking to like jump up the ladder right now. It just was something that I like figured out and thought, okay, yeah, well, yeah, the, note that one down, yeah. Yeah, so it was just kind of a I won't be a lifer. <laughs> kind of realization, which is fine. I, I can never imagine. I've had three jobs in two years, so that's no one should be surprised to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I was um, kind of one for a minute there. You were. Being, you were you were really stationary there for a, a hot sec. <laughs> but it kind of segues into because people have been there for so long, um, they form these really close relationships with one another. Mm-hmm. Um or think they do even when they don't. But um as a result, you almost feel like guilt tripped into doing things because the work is supposed to be very mission based and yeah, kind of there's grounded a, like, and like you're doing it for the students and yeah. this and that kind of vibe. There's an altruistic element to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing uh, because you think you're like serving a greater purpose. And I think there's some truth to that, but that because of that altruism, you just kind of feel a little bit indoctrinated in a way. I don't know how to describe this in like a healthy way because it's not, but you kind of feel like you're like, yeah, I feel that I'm doing something really important. The work that I'm doing is actually meaningful. And so when somebody asks you to do more without giving you anything in return, you're kind of like, well, that's just what we do. This is how, this is just how this works. You know, there's very much a spirit of that's just what we do. And like, we do it for the students. We do it for the institution. And I think that we talked about this when we had our interview for this season with Emily Denny because she mm-hmm. um, has been in nonprofit uh, yeah. work the the whole yeah, like her very similar whole kind career. Of vibe, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah, and it was it, yeah she talked about it being very similar where it was like well you know like we just we have to do it for the for the values for the mission for the goals and it's like well yeah but like we're all also doing it for the money so yeah like I have bills to pay like right doing it for the students there's the bottom line. Like, I, I enjoy doing that. I think it's meaningful. But, yeah. Um, and I'm willing to do a lot something. for the students, but yes, not yeah, well, like, everything. I think people are inclined to go a little bit above and beyond, which in this case, I would say is okay because of the nature. Like, it's okay to do a little bit more if you're like, yeah, I actually care about this. Let me take an extra five minutes to, to knock this out. Or like, yeah. then it's fine. But if you start, like, always working, you're always available, you're always on your email, you're always on your chat, whatever – then you should back up, you know. Back That's up that. We're a family. It's toxic yeah, vibe yeah. that we've talked so, so much about. Yeah. At least in my experience in higher ed, it feels, maybe it's not, like, more common than normal, but it, it feels fairly common that uh, at least maybe starting out, people mm-hmm. work for their alma mater. So they find an opening yeah. and they've just graduated, like they're going to hang around in the same area, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that that's very common for an entry level role. And um, <laughs> I think that it's easier to guilt trip those people because they they have the like alumni affinity and they really love yes. the institution and they loved their time there, which I'm all for. Like, I yeah. if, if I didn't do what I did uh, professionally I would do like alumni volunteering for my alma mater because I love yeah. my alma mater and I yeah. had an incredible time there and it, it meant so much to me and still does. But I think it would be a slight um, 
conflict of interest if I did anything for them (laughs) (laughs) because I'm like a higher ed professional. So I think that it's a lot easier to guilt trip those people. And I think that they are quite common. Like you may go on, like you may have an entry level job at like Ernst and Young or something and and be like, yeah, "Yeah, we do the work. This is a company that treats me well. I don't know anything about EY, but (laughs) but like you don't have like an alumni affinity. You didn't like grow up with EY, you know, like (laughs) you didn't have parties at EY when you were like should have been studying for finals. Like there's just not that feeling there. So it's I think that that aspect is a little more unique to higher ed. Yeah, it's convenient for them because you've already kind of drunk the Kool-Aid, so yep. they don't have to indoctrinate you. Like, they don't have to spend time and effort there. Right. You're, you're already kind of there. <laughs> so the other problem with colleges and universities, and this is why I think it's so funny when people are like, oh, colleges are like liberal hellholes, because I find that any attempt by a college or university to be like even a little bit forward thinking or like progressive or move in like a not slow pace is always running up against some sort of like bureaucracy and oh, red yeah. tape and it's the worst. Brick and it's walls, such, red so tape. Conservative in Circles, that way yeah. that it's it's just so funny that like I don't know how they think these colleges operate. How, <laughs> like, people make that critique of like what they think is happening there, but it's just so bad. Because a lot of the and there's a reason for this, a lot of the institutions in this country, although there are very many of them, most of them are very old. Yes. <laughs> like f- at least fifty years old. Yeah. Um, but many more are like 150, 200 yeah. years old. Like they're Especially old. as you go from like east to west. Yeah, basically they, in many ways they've all just been doing the same thing for years and years and years. So any yep. attempt to change that is, <laughs> Since is like very the jarring. Yeah, and that's hard for people to change, you know. <laughs> and that varies between like public and private institutions. Some are worse, some are better. Particularly private with or, the bureaucracy. I've, I've worked for both yeah. public and private and public institutions are – really held to account because like all of their records are public they are right to serve the there's public funding implications yeah there's all all yes. these additional layers of complexity private institutions tend to have at least the option to be a little bit more lenient yeah. in how they spend their money because it's not it's not subject to serving the public yes the surrounding public. fewer disclosures yeah but that doesn't mean that you won't run into red tape in those institutions because you absolutely right. will Oh, you absolutely will, and it will be terrible. What I would argue is probably one of the worst parts is the absurd requirements for entry-level jobs. So yes, especially if you're going to work for, I would say, a four-year university, this might be a little bit different if you're trying to get a job at community college. But if you don't have a bachelor's degree, don't bother. Yeah. <laughs> don't even consider it. Um, as much as... I would like for there to be openings for people who have taken all sorts of different educational paths. Yeah. It really just isn't an option right now. At least none that I've seen. I haven't really seen it. Yeah. You know, maybe someone somewhere is running into red tape trying to make that happen right now. But it definitely typically is just like really high requirements or preferences for entry level roles. It's so bad. Um, Many positions apart from like the very most entry level, will list a preference for a master's if not listed as a priority. I think that in some cases a master's required. I think that there's some leniency depending on like work experience. Yes. Yeah. A bachelor's degree plus work experience, like years of work experience is basically the same thing as a master's degree. Yeah. So it's treated as the same, I should say. It just kind of depends. And I, Sean and I are on the staff side of things. 
faculty, yeah. like professors, deans, things like that. Yeah, a whole different story there. That's totally different. Yeah. You like yeah. If, if a higher degree is required, it's going to be required because you have to demonstrate mastery over the subject in your yeah. field uh, to be like qualified to impart many, that knowledge. Yeah. And many institutions, if they don't require it, like at minimum will brag about their, the number of faculty they have with like a doctoral or like yeah. terminal degree. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really important over there. It goes but, toward the reputation, not only of the institution yeah. on the whole, but like the specific department, the specific major right, program right. or yes. certificate or whatever it is that they're involved in, like the higher, the uh, credentialed education of those on faculty, the more bragging rights. But whereas on the staff side, again, much more lenient requirements, still not great though. So when I first started uh, in the field, the job description for the position I applied for, it, it required a bachelor's degree, uh, but yeah. it also required a certain number of years of experience. And again, entry-level role, and I, I think it was like three to five years of it's experience, which like, yeah. it's very catch-22. It's very like chicken and egg. You can't get work until you've had work, but you can't work until you've worked, blah, blah, blah. It makes no sense. We all agree it's stupid, but it is still happening. See, here's here's where HR comes in again, because they're the ones approving all these job postings. And yeah. someone somewhere in, you know, all of HR. And HR like, should know better. They should. They should. They're, Do like, better, all, HR. They're like, okay, these, they, if they compare fields, that's why so many people have left the field the last couple of years. That could be a whole other conversation. So we'll oh, go yeah. down that road. But it's really bad. And it's funny because there's even a preference for, like, if you were a student worker. And so you can almost have, oh, like, yeah. pre, pre-experience. <laughs> then you don't have to be, like, freshly trained on the systems and things like that. Your yeah. access just needs to, like, increase. But you have, yeah, like, the basic functionality. Yeah, yeah, I mean, my entry-level role in the field, first of all, required a bachelor's degree. It didn't really require a significant amount of experience, which was good, but it was worded in a way where you had to like demonstrate some core abilities, um, like working with students. And in return, I was paid the very high salary of $32,000 per year. Which is, you know, a pittance now and I not much better then. Don't know how I did it. Like I didn't have to do it for very long. It was probably because of where I lived as well. Yeah. But, like if I made $32,000 in a even slightly larger city, like I would not be able to do it. Like I mean, basics. I was making something similar when I started. I, th- I think maybe more like 34. I really don't remember. Pretty, pretty low. And I, you know, I had my partner, you know, we lived together. So we had two yeah, salaries yeah. coming in. And that was the only right. way that I could live in like our modest two bedroom apartment. Like- yeah, make it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah in like not even in like a hot part of the city we were in like a very basic extremely dull part of the city (laughs) (laughs) because that was what we could afford we make it sound so good so uh... (laughs) (laughs) so here's our pitch why you should want to work in higher here's why we should do this no it's a it's a very good question like why why in the name of god would we still do this if it's Yes. So after spending Um. um, years and seasons and very specifically like 45 minutes uh, complaining about higher ed. Yep. Sean, why are you still in this field? I would say that every field has its downsides. I mean, I have friends in completely different industries and fields like healthcare and and otherwise like the STEM fields. And I just 
can't wrap my head around their problems, but they all have like completely different problems than I do. You know, like yeah. issues with patients or issues with customers and this and that. So I would that would be kind of like my argument. It's like, well, regardless of what I do, there's going to be a not so great part about it. And so in our industry, there is a ton of paths you can take, like a ton of you could work with students, you could work behind the scenes, you could work in finance, you could work in fundraising, you could do work in admissions. Like there are so many different functions. Um, but in our, like, if we go a little more granular, we work in international education. And I'm really passionate about that piece of higher education. Like, I think it's really important for Americans to have international experiences, whether it be on campuses with international students or through, like, an internship or study abroad experience. I think those those sorts of connections and experiences are really, really valuable. I could care less about other parts of higher ed, though. I don't really. <laughs> like, uh, like, the, what is it? The disciplinary office like oh yeah or like you know conduct I mean? like, and compliance so yeah like that, none of that's res life or exciting to me yeah so like yeah. if i had to work in that that would be terrible yeah i know people that love that oh my god but same yeah, it's, that. no it's never interested me i see those no. like the lateral moves we were talking about making like i would never leave my international ed niche because it's the international aspect that draws me to the, the ed. field yeah yeah exactly and that's totally fine too i think a lot of people come into higher ed not intending to have gone into higher ed. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that's, that's kind of an example quite, here. Yeah, true. I think if you talk to higher ed professionals, a lot of them are like, well. They come from all over. Yeah, they do. They do. And there's a lot of reasons for that. but Yeah, a lot of them kind of end up in it, um, really love it, yeah. which is, uh, that's what happened to me. Um, yeah. And then kind of learn more about what opportunities exist for them in the space. Some of them even go on to get like a, a higher ed specific degree. That's what you did. So some some people just get into it and really enjoy different aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, and, and because of that, I think the work is impactful. I think what I do is impactful just the same way that those people, you know, feel the same way that their work is impactful doing disciplinary compliance, whatever. Um, my selfish part is that I there's sometimes travel opportunities. Oh yeah, which I love. Um, that's <laughs> always a fun piece of it. Not as frequently as I would have liked, but still, I mean, it's great to have those those types of experiences, whether it's around the country or in, or ideally international experiences. Going back to the salary piece, it's definitely not a field you get wealthy in unless you start hitting those higher level, you know, positions. And that those roles are not for everybody, and and you know they're kind of competitive. But anyways. Yeah. But you can still earn a decent living, especially if you go to what we call the private sector, but it's all the private sector, like the institution side is, it's all lumped together. But what we, how we would describe it, our private sector is like going to work for a company. Instead not, of an institution. Yeah. Exactly, so you're yeah. in higher ed, you're higher ed adjacent is a, a phrase that Sean and I have used in particular, uh, but you're no longer like at an institution, you're not even necessarily working directly with students in some cases um so it's just kind of like the other the other side of the table they also i assume every field has yeah. some like other side of the table this is one of ours exactly i don't really work with students at all um i i don't at all either yeah which i work like, with I'm, people who I'm work okay with students with but i don't. same same <laughs> yes <laughs> which i'm okay with i like working with students but it, this is fine too yeah <laughs> But anyways, I mean, especially now, you and I earn so much more money than when we worked together. Oh, yeah. Very meaningful way we earn more money. So yeah. We're not, was... we're not bajillionaires, but compared to, you know, where we were a couple of years ago, we were, we are. 
Yeah, that's true. Things things have changed a lot in these last two years and six jobs. <laughs> yeah, no way. And so uh, the other, the sort of the last thing um, is working with international students. When I did work with students, I got to work with both populations of students, which I really liked. So I was working with American students going abroad, international students coming in. I think but getting the opportunity to do both is not something that people who work in our field always do. They kind of just yeah. stick to one. So I'm glad I've been able to kind of do both. Um, and I remember um, I used to advise on programs um, for students going to China. And it was such a cool job, by the way. I remember one time this kid was coming back and I think he was a freshman maybe or maybe a sophomore. He was younger. Like he was definitely in our younger population of students. Yeah. And so he needed like a little bit more convincing and handholding and all that sort of stuff on the way through the process. But he went uh, for a semester. And when he came back, he wrote this whole thing about like how meaningful the experience was. And like he, I got a little shout out in it. I was like, this oh. is why I do this job. This is so cool. Oh. So those things I find particularly rewarding. So that's one of the, I, on those types of experiences are a lot fewer and far between because I don't work with students directly anymore. But I like to think that the work I'm doing impacts those types of experiences yeah definitely what about you (laughs) i i feel very similarly um in terms of like what i value and what i feel like i contribute you know to Mm -hmm. the world through this work like many 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 of our colleagues in this field my own study abroad experience was just fundamental really to everything that came after it was something I knew I wanted to do. I was lucky enough to get to do it really early. And after that, I was just like, I have to go back. And that's part of how I ended up living in Spain for a year on a Fulbright. I definitely credit my study abroad experience with a big part of like having been granted that opportunity. A lot, a lot went into it, but I, I personally feel that that played a huge role. And for me, it's a big part of why I wanted to go back because I got so much out of that It was only like a 10-week program because my school was on the quarter system. So I had like Mm. 10 weeks abroad and it changed everything for me. And you'll hear that from people in our field over and over and over again. No matter where they went or when they went or what they did abroad, it was – it's always so impactful. And it's such a part of everyone's story in our field really. Yeah, which is really cool because I've heard of some insane experiences that people have had, you know, and gone to like really unique places. And actually, when I was a student and in undergrad, I I worked every day with international students. I was I actually I volunteered because I wasn't paid for anything. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I did work orientation one summer and I was paid for that. But well, I I God. did <laughs> to no one's surprise, I'm sure I I did student government in in university. Oh, and... <laughs> yeah. That tracks. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else out there listening right now is also going, oh, yeah, of course. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. We've listened enough. We know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was on, like, the International Affairs Commission. And oh, as cool. such, I worked with international students and the International Student Union. And I, like, helped put on their events. And I worked with their, mm-hmm. like executive board of their club and I like tried really hard to represent their voice in student government because that was a big part of my role on paper and it was something that like previously people in the role like hadn't really taken very seriously and again people will not be surprised to hear I took it very seriously and so yeah yeah. some of my very best friends from college were international students so two things 
those are the types of experiences that I was talking about before where it's like either an international student here or yeah. like somebody going abroad because obviously study abroad has the reputation and can be very inaccessible for people because it's so expensive. But, you know, I think a lot of Americans don't actually interact with the international students on their campuses, whether it be a community college, for university, whatever. Um, and that makes it, you know, kind of difficult. But then there's people like you who are like actively seeking those opportunities to engage. <laughs> yeah, it was so it was just so different from like what I experienced growing up in my hometown. And yeah. I was just like, what? Like, I'm sorry, you're from Indonesia. Like, what are you doing in Southeast Ohio? <laughs> yeah. Like, tell me about that. Like, what kind of, yeah. you know, like what there's a story yeah. there. Yeah. I'm like, I came here because it was, uh, well, I really love the school and all these other reasons. But in terms of yeah, like yeah. distance traveled, I was like, it's far enough away that nobody will ever surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Like, just like, oh, I'm popping by campus. And I'm like, no, I've got plans this yeah. weekend, mom. Uh, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> But it's close enough that I can get home if I want to. Geographically, like, that factored into my decision. Yeah, international like, students do have that trouble. <laughs> it's it's just far enough away to never see your family. <laughs> right. It's Potentially for all four years. Away. Yeah, yeah, many of them stay all four years. Some of them only go yeah. home in summer. Some go home, you know, every break longer than a yeah, week. Yeah. But so it was just so wonderful for me that I was like, there are all these people from all over the world. And that means that I, like they're making their food. They're, you know, bringing out like crafts and they're showing off costumes and dances as part of like international right. nights and things like that. And I just loved it. I loved it so much. It never occurred to me that I was also working with like staff members that like did that as their right jobs because when I yeah, it didn't really register with me either I worked with them like every day like like yeah. literally the offices that I would come to know as like colleagues <laughs> and fellow professionals and it never occurred to me so my yeah. own experience is really once I was like oh yeah that's a thing and now I have the opportunity yeah. to do it I was all in I'm sure, again, no no surprises here. I really believe in education and learning yeah. and, and seeking and having new experiences to draw on and to, again, just like learn from other people, learn from other ways of thinking and doing things. And I think that, as you pointed out, like in a in a college environment, there are so many people from all over the world, most, I, well, I won't say most, but many colleges and universities boast students from like over 50 countries or whatever. And that's yeah. right there. Again, in the middle of One like place, yeah. rural you Illinois. Can travel to 50 countries that easily. You know? Yeah. So it's all right there for you. And yeah. I think that the experience that international students have is really valuable. I think that the experience that they allow or that they facilitate for domestic students is really valuable. Um, and yeah. I like contributing to that overall I don't know like pipeline of information like flow of culture I don't know I I feel like I contribute to that and I benefited from it so much and I want other yes. people to as well yeah as a side note this is so bad you, you're talking about like the the things that international students bring to campuses like their traditions and customs and things like that and food and you know dance and music but I was thinking like I always ask my international, like, international students or, like, my international colleagues, like, the nerdiest questions. I remember, <laughs> I remember going to China once, and we're, like, driving between cities. We were going somewhere. We were taking students somewhere. I was, like, asking this woman about the, the country's social security system. I was, like, how does this, this work, like, here? <laughs> like, and they were, they were, like, clearly, like, why in the hell is he asking me this question? Like, but I always find that stuff so interesting, like, how 
the day-to-day things that we deal with and do like how other people do those things right like what's normal here is totally wild to someone else like they would never even think of it and the same if you go abroad like the first time we went to the first time i went to spain for my study abroad experience they do like siesta a lot of a lot of shops and things close uh from like it varies but like two to five is kind of a typical window and so like if you don't run your errands before or after, like you might not get them all done, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, how does how does this place function when things aren't open 24 <laughs> seven like they are where I'm from, you know? And so right. like, it just makes you question things. And I, I think that's a good thing. And the final impassioned uh, reason <laughs> that I will give is the people that you meet in this field are incredible. I mean, as I yeah. said, everyone has their like, how and why I got here experience or story. And a lot of it is travel based or study abroad based or international student based. And like, it's just a really cool crowd. Like you meet people that have been to every continent. You meet people that have been to a hundred countries. You meet people that have been to India 20 times who aren't Indian, you know, that are like, that are from like, you know, the Midwest and they've been to India 20 times. Right. And everyone just has all these great stories. And so something like this conference that's coming up, for me, a big part of why I nerd out about it so hard is that all of those stories come together. And like, I can see people here that I met in Mexico doing recruitment like seven years ago and just be like, what have you been up to? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and everyone has this same, for the most part, and at least most of the people that I've met and worked with and, you know, kept in touch with, like all of the reasons that you and I just listed, everyone feels that way about this industry. Yeah. And so even with the like ridiculous entry level requirements and the low wages that you start out with and the the stagnation that you can experience and the red tape and all the bad stuff that we spent the entire first, you know, half hour <laughs> plus talking about, everyone there has this same kind of mentality to a certain degree. And I think that that yeah. is that makes it all worth it. It's nice to work with people who are passionate about what they do for largely the same reasons that you're passionate about doing it. (laughs) But you're right. It's just amazing to meet people that realistically, how would you ever be able to otherwise? They're all compelling stories, you know? You know, maybe you work together more regularly or maybe you only see each other at conferences or what have you. I have on uh, one of the few people I communicate with on Snap, like exclusively, is a a colleague, a former colleague that I met at a conference at this point, like five years ago. And he still sends me updates when he's traveling to like the places that we have been together or the territory that we both used to manage and stuff. And it's like. I don't feel like you get that same level of integration of like your professional passion Mm -hmm. with a personal passion because you, for the most part, most people in this uh, field as well really enjoy travel or maybe they're older now and they don't want to travel, but they used to travel a ton or they, they want to, if they're like younger and in the field, that's a big part of why I have stayed as you mentioned as well, because it's a great way to see new places and meet new people and you can do that on a global scale when you work in a field like this which is super cool Uh, travel is something I like to do personally and even if Mm -hmm. I hadn't incorporated it into my professional life I would still seek to do it in my personal life so you already also have like a non-work connection with exactly yeah and it's funny because it's obviously a global industry but 
it feels very small. Like you see the same people. They yeah. they've likely changed jobs or gotten promoted, but you people these people have known each other for years and years and years. Oh, yeah. And what we're saying is probably in the like realistically not that unique to higher ed, but it feels very unique and special, which is it part does. of the reason we enjoy working in the industry. And ultimately why we want American students to have these international experiences, but also bring international students to the US because not only the things that they do on campus, but the things they do off campus in their communities. And, you know, I think it may, helps make people more empathetic and understanding and, you know, willing to accept other people who are different than themselves and, you know, all, yeah. these, all these net positive things. And again, to just like ask questions they'd have never thought to ask before. Yeah. To criticize our own systems or say like, maybe we got this right, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, just like, I didn't realize that was different somewhere else for someone else. And now I have that awareness and like, yeah, I have this new knowledge. Yeah. And that can happen over and over and over again. And so naturally when mm-hmm. you're just like, in the dining hall or you have a class and you end up in a group with someone from the Hungary or Finland or wherever. I think that that is also uh, a very college experience because yeah, you go from like your hometown or maybe where you've been your whole life or people you've known for a long time or whatever. And you are thrust into this population of maybe some people that, you know, from your school or whatever, but like largely thousands of strangers in most cases, at the very least hundreds. And some of those people are from the entire other side of the world. And you Mm -hmm. all ended up on this campus. And there's something very special about that. There really is. And I think to, and I could talk about this, this could literally be a whole other episode as well. I I was just thinking (laughs) Of one more thing, and that's when I was abroad once for work, and because of like mostly my race, I'm I've rarely ever I don't think I've ever been the only white person in a room or a place ever before, which oh. is a particularly common experience for people of color in this country, and that can be you know like an uncomfortable experience, understandably in many ways, or th- there's a variety of reasons. But I was thinking I was at a train station in China, and I looked around, I was like, holy crap, I'm the only like white American person, and that was a really I don't know if I want to say transformative, but like a really, I don't know how to describe this experience, but it was really, really important for me to have that experience. That it makes gave sense. you like, pause. Yeah. It yeah, made it was you like, realize something crap. that yeah. you didn't realize had never happened. And I think those types of learning experiences are really, really important for people. So anyways, we could go on and on about this for hours and hours. And I will hours. say one <laughs> last thing. Please do. And I think that part of the like mission that I so love about international education is that has all these opportunities for this moment, as we've pointed out, for differences that you can find. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, the lesson that you learn is that we are all the same. Like, we all have struggles. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. We all have tragedy and comedy and all these different things. And we're all just people. Yeah, it's a really great way to humanize one another when, you know, maybe your customs, your language, your traditions don't automatically do that. Yeah. But yeah, there's no perfect career field and, you know, we could sit here and say all the terrible things all day, every day, um, and it's very easy to do. But we could also say the good things as we we've hope we've just demonstrated. But it's, it is safe to say with a lot of certainty that higher education really isn't always working, both for the people that we serve and for, you know, the, the faculty and staff. Absolutely. There is always room to improve. And certainly... If you love something or you feel really strongly about it, you should want it to do better. 
Absolutely, you should. So we have a lot of thoughts on how to fix it, and that could be a season itself. But, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> at least we're committed to try. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, well, we a season of us complaining. What else is there? Um, <laughs> <As laughs> one more. Seasons. Yeah, that's that's actually the theme of the show. But there's only one more episode left in the season, which is crazy. Again, I can't believe it's gone by so, so quickly. But in the meantime, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us reach more people. Um, and then follow us on social media, namely a uh, TikTok and Instagram at NotWorkingPod. Until next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.